Welcome to the number one podcast covering Michigan State basketball. The Final Four is not in the schedule. Join Rod and me, Eric, as we dive deep into the Spartans to get you prepared for every game. Subscribe today for in-depth recruiting updates and fantastic interviews with today's important college basketball personalities like Robbie Hummel. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I have listened to your guys' podcasts numerous times on drives throughout any Midwestern Big Ten city, so I, I am a big fan of your guys' work. Jay Billis. And next time, hey, if anybody in Michigan wants a December tea time, call me. You wimps won't show up, but I'll I'll be there. I'll be there and play in the cold. And Izzo will be in front of the fire with hot chocolate. Coaches Thomas Kelly. Oh, no problem. Glad to be back, man. Glad to be back. Mike Garland. You just can't sit there and trade twos for threes. You can't do it. You're going to lose. Coming down the stretch, you're going to lose. And more. You won't find better coverage of Spartan Hoops than you will get here. For both the casual and hardcore fan, come along as we take you for a green and white ride. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod here, and we're here to preview Michigan State's upcoming game against James Madison, the season opener on November 6th at the Breslin Center. Uh, before we begin, I just want to thank all the people who support us on the, the show through Patreon and through one time via PayPal and Venmo. I'm not saying you're the best listeners, but you are probably ranked a little higher than people who just listen for free. <laughs> anyway, uh, I want to thank those, especially those at the Mateen Cleves level, Bill Church, Brian O'Donnell, and Chad Hickey. Uh, those are the Draymond Green level, Scott Driscoll, Paul Marsh, Jim L., Adam Walzak, Dan Rankin, Doug Robinson, James Benton, Michael Bosnick, and all of you who support the show also at the Scott Skiles level. We really appreciate it. You guys are awesome and you keep things going. We have, uh, I've mentioned a couple times how much more popular the show has gotten. I think we've had from last year for our preview show, we've had a quadrupling of people who've uh, listened to our deep dive preview show. So, I mean, thank you so much to all of you who Share this with your friends who've left reviews on the podcast player. Continue doing that. Uh, continue to give it to other Spartan fans. Let's keep growing this community. We uh, really appreciate it a ton. I think we're, you know, we have a website at tffinots.com or the final four is on the schedule.com. You can go there and we have a forum that's free. You can join in. I think, I think Rod's going to try and uh, do some halftime thoughts. So if you're at home, you can go, you can follow and kind of get his idea of what's going on, uh, his thoughts about the game and, you know, where we are. So check it out. Make sure you register for that. It's really cool. Uh, also, obviously, you can find ways to get merchandise, a logo shirt, or um, ways to support the show. It's all there. Uh, I know some of you already go there for uh, getting the episodes. You can also find us on uh, Twitter at, at TFFINOTS68. You can also find us on YouTube. So if I know the number of people listen to this show on YouTube. And so when we have interviews, we'll actually have some video. Most of the time it's just audio. So you can check that out. And again, that that's youtube.com slash at TFF And so you can check us out in all the different places. I really appreciate it, but let's talk about Michigan state's opening game. They're going to be taking on James Madison, one of the founding fathers. Uh, last year, the Dukes were 22 and 11, 12 and six in the Sun Belt. They lost a lot of production from that team, uh, which finished second in the conference. But returned some of his key players and have added some significant transfers. The coach by Mike Bar, uh, coach by Mark Byington, uh, who's done a great job there in his three years. He's uh, won a regular season with the in the um, Colonial Athletic Association, which is um, where they were before they moved to the Sun Belt. He's won sixty one percent of his games there. Considered one of the best X and O coach in the conference, and had a lot of success at his previous job at Georgia Southern for seven years before taking the G, uh, James Madison job. And he's 
he just wins where he goes. And so I think that's uh, that's why they are the preseason favorite to win the Sun Belt, even though they have this lot of roster turnover. And so they've been a high-scoring, up-tempo team, averaging more than 80 points a game, so uh, also making them their ninth in offensive length of possession. So very, very fast team. So we should uh, – that'll – Obviously, one of the things we'll get into sort of, you know, the pace of play may kind of feed into what Michigan State likes to do, too, this year. Yeah, uh, it's, you know, it's dangerous to an extent when you have as much turnover as this team has. They've lost four starters from last year. It's dangerous to extrapolate too much from the prior season when that's gone on. But I, I think we get a sense of what Byington wants to do. And in a nutshell, he wants to play fast. At both ends, they also want to say they were forty. They were thirtieth in um, turnover percentage on defense, so turnovers generated, and forty fourth in steal percentage, something yeah. like that. Contributes to their work. speed, probably. Yeah, yeah, and then offensively, they're playing very quick possessions. They're not. They're not waiting a long time before generating a shot. So. I suspect, from what I can tell, that is the way that Byington wants to play. And so I think it's a safe assumption to expect that they are going to look to play fast in this game. Every once in a while, we'll get a team, you know, a mid-major in the non-conference against MSU that decides to go against type Mm -hmm. because they think that, you know, if they're a fast team, they might end up playing a little slower because they think that, you know, fewer possessions gives them a better chance to right. spring an upset, but generally speaking, you, you know, and if you're, if you're in Byington's position, what is he looking at in this game? Yeah. He'd love to win. It would be huge for his program, you know, but I think what you really want to make sure you get out of it is that you learn things about your team and the way you're going to learn things about your team is you try to do the things that you normally would do. Sure. You're just playing against a better opponent. And so that's what I expect. He could confound me with that, but I expect them to try to play fast. Uh, you mentioned this is a guy when I look at him and and he's a little lower profile because he hasn't been to an NCAA tournament yet. But this is a guy who's fairly young, I believe he's in his 40s and and not the tail end of his 40s either. Uh, I would think if he can have another good year, as is expected, you mentioned they are the preseason favorite in the Sun Belt. If he can have another good year, I don't see why he wouldn't end up on uh, the radar of some bigger schools. And he's already made one jump. He did a run at Georgia Southern, which is also in the Sun Belt, for seven years, had winning records in six of those seasons. Then he jumped uh, four years ago to um to james madison so he's been there three years he's already won a caa regular season title was second in the sun belt last year uh so this is a guy who probably is going places that would be my assumption he started his career out as grad assistant at virginia and he's just kind of worked his way up from there he's been an assistant at college of charleston he was interim head coach there before uh, getting the job at Georgia Southern. And then obviously he's moved to James Madison. So this is a guy to watch out for. And this is a good team. You know, sometimes we, we see Michigan State get a game like this and it's an opponent that really isn't capable no matter yeah. what they do. 
of competing with Michigan State. That's not the case here. The, these guys are good enough. Even with the roster turnover, I expect them to be good enough that Michigan State's going to have to play well. Now, do they have to play their A game? Probably not. But they can't go out and just roll the balls out and figure that they can win just at a cruising altitude. They're going to have to do some things. It's also worth mentioning that this team last year finished inside the top 100 in um, both net and Ken Palm. So they were legitimately a good team. And I believe Ken Palm preseason, which frankly is not worth very much at this point. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think he has them number 136, which is not bad. That should be viewed in context for a school at their level. That's pretty good. So this is a, you know, and the nice thing about this, if it turns out that James Madison has the kind of year that's expected of them, that's going to be a positive for Michigan state in terms of its own rankings. You know, sure. what you, what you sometimes fall into in these non-conference games, because it's so tough to know it's now more than ever because of roster turnover. But sometimes you fall into a situation where you think you've got some decent opponents and it turns out that you're playing three or four games against sub-250 teams. And that really can ding your strength of schedule and in turn ding your rankings in the various metric systems. So hopefully this is one that's going to hold up. And and yet we hope Michigan State still gets a win. So uh, that's the idea. But as I say, I expect a fast-paced game, I expect them to be pretty good, and um, you know, a challenge for Michigan State in the in the opener. Uh, it, it should be noted as we go into the starters and reserves that this is guesswork to some extent. You're not guaranteed. I mentioned, <laughs> yeah, I mentioned that they lost four starters. One of them I know will be starting, but the other guys. It's kind of piecing it together. I couldn't find any indication that they played an exhibition. They did do a summer tour in July in Italy. Couldn't find any information on that. And there's nothing, there's just nothing out there in terms of a a definitive statement as to, well, these are the guys that are expected to start. You know, this is the rotation. Couldn't find it. So this is guesswork, but I think it's pretty good guesswork. If we don't get all five starters right, I think we'll get the majority of them. Yeah, well, probably at least players you're going to play a lot of minutes, whether they're actually starting or not, right? Uh, Well, the guys I've gone with for the most part, for the most part as starters are guys that are coming back. There's a Actually, there's a couple of transfers in there, but they're higher profile transfers. And then there are guys that are returnees, so. Sure. Sure. Who played significant roles, even if it was off the bench last season. Yeah. It's always tough. The first game of the season, especially these teams with all the transfers and stuff to try and figure it, figure out these things. Um, You know, do you, do you have any feel for, and I don't know if you came across why Madison switched from the uh, CA to the Sunbelt. Is that, is that like a higher profile mid-major? I guess I'm not. That's interesting. You know, the Sunbelt is a league that, has gone through a lot of changes over the years. I can remember a time in the early eighties when it was actually a pretty damn good league. Um, South Alabama was a member of that league. I want to say South Florida was at one point. Um, You know, they, they, it was a league that had some good mid major cachet and it's, 
membership has ebbed and flowed a lot. The Colonial has had some years where it's been pretty good. You know, George, yeah. I believe George Mason. Right. George Mason went to the Final Four. Yeah. I believe they were out of the Colonial. I, I have to believe it was a step up for them because the Colonial still exists. So it's not like that league fell apart and they were just looking for a home. But no, I, I didn't really get into uh, a lot of detail on that other than the sense that it's it was just another facet of uh, reconfiguration, reorganization um, among conferences, which is not just at the uh, high major level. Yeah, it's it's all over. Especially, yeah. There's probably a lot more movement down there than we probably realize because we don't pay there attention is. to those. There's movement all the time in those smaller leagues for sure. Because like we've watched, Oakland is a good you know nearby example as 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 it has progressed through from D two to D one and then kind of changes conferences. Well, uh, I think the, the the most dramatic example I can think of um, is Butler. Butler went from the horizon to the big east i mean that was a big jump yeah, that's a big jump yeah for that program um actually the the one now this is uh, valpo made moves valpo went from uh or another one actually a really good example um is loyola of chicago well chicago went from the horizon to the missouri valley and now to the Atlantic 10. Yeah, right. In the space of a decade, I believe. Maybe even a slightly shorter time frame than that. So, yeah, you do see it all the time. It's going on. It's This is not just a high major. The, the high major stuff gets most of the attention, of course, because it's football. That tends to be football motivated. Right, right, right. At that level, right? But, yeah. but these other leagues, there are other motivations involved. Yeah, it's interesting, too. You look at... Um... The, the rankings, and you, you you made the point, it's much better to play a high major. And I think Kevin Pauga is the one who sets a lot of the schedule for Michigan State or helps them coordinate these things. And I, I know mm-hmm. he pays a lot of attention to making sure that they don't play too many tomato cans, as you put it, right? That they try and avoid those really bad yeah. teams because you gain nothing except like an exhibition sort of you know experience. And you're only put yourself at risk, right? Those, those, those sorts of games. I think there's a, couple, there's a couple things going on. I think they try to do that, but as I mentioned... There's only so much uh, certainty in that. Sure. Yeah. Because there, there's what a team you think a team might be when you schedule them versus where they actually are. Even though basketball scheduling is not like football, it's not done years in advance. It's still there's some there's some flow in that. The other thing is sometimes and we saw it last year with MSU in the opening game. They played Northern Arizona, if you remember, and yeah. that was in large part motivated by the fact that the head coach is a is a i believe a up native if i remember correctly not even just a michigan native yeah and so that was done for that reason and there have been other times they had um if i remember correctly didn't michigan state have southern utah in here when todd simon who's now the coach at bowling green and is a native of fowler was the head coach there i believe they had southern utah come in for a game so sometimes they'll have uh if a team happens to have say a sibling of an yeah, MSU Dolman, player. I recall I can't remember his, yep. his brother played well, uh, but... Wofford Wofford yep his brother played yeah. for Wofford and there That's have been right. other examples I know there was a year 
This might have been, yeah, there was a year where MSU played Nebraska Omaha, and I believe uh, Draymond Green's brother played for okay. them. So there have been these kind of scenarios that go on too. And so sometimes that can influence the schedule. And if it's, if it's motivated by that, well, you know, the, the, the likely finish of that team in the top three, you know, in the three sixty whatever, uh, is probably not driving it. So that can hurt you too. But generally speaking, yeah, Michigan State's got one of the guys on their, on the athletic staff who knows this stuff. And they generally try to schedule in a way that's going to be productive even when they're playing these lower level teams. You look at some a team like Ohio State and I think I think they are they're probably the most egregious as far as playing some of the worst non-conference games. I mean their strength of schedule is always so poor. Uh, which is strange because they at least like you know last year is a great example, right? They're despite playing just really horrendous teams, I mean which they would mop up the mop the floor with them. Uh, they still had very high ratings, uh, even though they had a very weak strength of schedule in many, if playing, you know, the sub 250 teams uh, consistently. Yeah. You know, different different coaches have and, and programs have different philosophies on this stuff. I just know that, as everybody listening to this knows, generally speaking, the Tom Izzo philosophy is anybody, anytime, anywhere. Yeah. Now, that's sometimes harder to achieve in reality than it is as, a, as an ethos. Um, because you gotta, you know, there's all kinds of factors that come into who you can actually schedule, but that does extend down to the non high major games that they're playing. You know, you look at the schedule this year and you say, well, obviously you got Duke, you know, Butler's a high major game. Um, you have Arizona and you have Baylor. Um, that's pretty good. Right. But there's a bunch of other games besides those and you want to make sure that you're maxing out and i think when you look at who michigan state's got lined up this year this game is an example of that there's another game they've got at the tail end of the non-conference against indiana state indiana state is expected to be right in the mix for the missouri valley this year which is a good historically one of if not the best mid-major league on a year-to-year basis so i expect indiana state to be a competitive game that's a good team so there's a lot of these games that you might not think mean much, but th- this is this is not a game that I'm expecting a 40-point blowout in. I don't anticipate that. Yeah, but I think the next game might be more like that. <laughs> uh, and, you know, the interesting too, thing, too, is you mentioned uh, their ranking, their Ken Palms like 136. I mean, to, give, to put that in perspective, if they finished last season at 100, they finished way ahead of Minnesota. Right. Absolutely. I mean, as far as, right. So absolutely. And actually a couple of the big 10 teams. And so this is, yeah, like Nebraska, you said, it's not a slouch. Yeah. Right. And that's my point. That's my point. If you're a team from their level and you finish inside the top 100 in both net and Ken Palm, that's a sign that you're a pretty good team. They were, they didn't get to the NCAA tournament because they didn't win their league. They didn't win the tournament and they didn't win, win the regular season either. But, um, that was a team that on every conceived by any conceivable measure in terms of the way these things are measured, you can argue with the accuracy of that. But generally speaking, I think we're believers that it tells you something about these teams. They were an NCAA tournament quality team. That's what they were. Yeah. Um, Because typically 
a team from the Sun Belt that gets into the tournament is not going to be ranked a whole hell of a lot higher than they were and sometimes might be worse. All right. So let's go through the starters or projected starters as far as we can tell. Yeah. We'll begin with Bryant. Lean on that. (laughs) Projected. Yes. Uh, We'll begin with Bryant Randleman. Randleman's a 6'4 grad transfer from High Point. He was a four-year starter there, averaged 3.4 assists a game in his final two seasons, and his third all-time in assists at the high point. Uh, so it certainly seems like a um, not someone who's a scoring threat as much as an assist threat. That's right. He's he's a um, definitely a con- uh, traditional pass-first guy. He can score a little. I think he averaged just under eight points a game the last two years at high point, but not a high-volume shooter, not a guy that looks for his own offense a lot. Um, I'm assuming he's in that spot. They seemed, from what I could find, they seemed high on him. And physically, the thing you like is his size at 6'4", which means that he can at least, in theory, match up decently with A.J. Hogarth. Yeah, and just looking over the the size of this team, not giant, but not tiny, right? I mean, then right. so move on to the next pl- next guard is Noel Friedel. 6'4", senior, averaging 8.7 points a game on 34, 32, and 79 shooting last year uh, after transferring in from South Dakota State. Yeah, and he had he had a good career run at South Dakota State, um, which has been a good program. But uh, not huge scoring numbers, but decent. And he started about two-thirds of the time. So that's why I'm assuming he jumps up into a starting role in in this game. Um, they'd obviously like more consistent perimeter shooting out of him. He kind of struggled there last year, but again, decent size at six, four, um, a lot of experience. He's a fifth year guy actually, as is their point guard. So that's in their favor too, that there's even with some of these transfers coming in, this is going to be an experienced team that MSU faces, not necessarily together as a unit, but just in terms of individual basketball players. Right. Our next player is our highlighted player that Michigan State needs to keep in the gutter, Terrence Edwards, 6'6 junior and 6th man of the year in the Sun Belt. Preseason first team all-league choice, uh, averaged 13.3 points a game, 5.1 rebounds a game, and shot 53, 46, and 72 last year. So far and away, I mean, at least on paper, he sure, certainly seems like their best option, the one that Michigan State needs to focus on the most. No question. Now, you know, the three-point number is really good on a percentage basis. He wasn't a super high-volume guy. I think he averaged about two attempts a game. Mm-hmm. But you're still talking about a guy who's very much a three-level scorer. Uh, he's a preseason first-team guy in their league. Uh, probably will be a contender for player of the year in the Sun Belt if they have the kind of season as a team that's expected. And you know, his size is six, six. And, and this is something that Michigan state is going to face a lot this year. So we need to get used to it. Uh, with his size at six, six, that poses a little bit of a challenge because as we know, Michigan state is going to run out a three guard lineup. So likely Jade Nakins is guarding him. Now Jade Nakins right. is capable of guarding the six, six guy. You know, he's given up a couple inches, two to three inches there. But we know Jaden can play bigger than that. And, of course, the fact that he's got to guard Jade Nakins at the other end will also <laughs> be interesting. But this is going to be, I think, and, and we saw some of this in the Tennessee game. Izzo mentioned it. In fact, I think we talked about it in the post game that uh, Izzo said they didn't really have 
all their stuff in defensively yet for how to deal with bigger guards, by which he means rules in place for when they're going to double, you know, with, when there's a guard in the post, somebody trying to utilize their size. Of course, that's not the only way size is a factor. It can show up in a lot right. of different ways. Um, but that's going to be something that Michigan State is going to have to deal with. And they do have potential answers for that. You know, Cohen Carr playing the wing mm-hmm. is a potential answer there. You could also see Malik Hall on the wing, some a position he played a lot last year. Um, that's another option if Michigan State is really finding uh, they're having an issue physically. But I, I just mention it because this is a good player who's going to have a size advantage at least to start the game. And so that's something to watch. That's something I'll be interested in as to how Michigan State deals with that. But he's definitely a weapon, probably their best player. And so again, to reminder, uh, Terrence Edwards is the Michigan State player to keep in the gutter. And that's brought to you by the Brothers Just Do Gutters. If you need gutter work, it is still rainy season. It's cold, but soon you're going to have all kinds of buildup in your roof. If you have leaves up there, you need to take care of them because it can cause all kinds of problems in the winter once you start feeling with the snow and ice and icicles and all kinds of problems like that. So contact the Brothers at Just Do Gutters. You won't regret it. They took care of my stuff back in February in just miserable weather. So they'll go out there anytime as long as it's not like totally unsafe, like in a thunderstorm, but they will take care of your gutters. They can clean them out. They can put the leaf guards on. They can replace them. They can repair them. Whatever you need done, they will take care of you. You can get it done if you're on the east or the west side of the state. On the west side, Kurt and his team will take care of you. On the east side of the state, Greg and his team will take care of you. So around the metro Detroit area, the metro Grand Rapids, Holland, uh, Saugatuck area, they can take care of anything you need with your gutter work. And that's all they do. So they specialize it and they're very good at it. You get 10% off if you mention Final Four uh, in while you contact them. You can find contact information on the podcast player of that you're listening to, or you can go to our episode website uh, and find it there. Uh, so the next player would be TJ Bickerstaff, a 6'9 senior transfer from Boston College, averaging 5.8 points a game and 6.3 rebounds a game last year, and shot a, a little under 50% from the floor. Yeah, and, you know... Uh- I, I didn't, I'm ashamed of myself here. I didn't check. I assume he is related to the Bickerstaff basketball family. Uh, if you remember, uh, I don't, <laughs> the elder B- Bickerstaff was a longtime NBA head coach. Mm-hmm. There have been others that have worked in, in basketball coaching. So I assume he's part of that family. Um, decent production at Boston college. And you are talking about a guy who was good enough to play, uh, good minutes at an ACC program. Yeah. So right. that likely to me and his size at six, nine for a team that doesn't have a ton of it uh, would suggest to me that he's going to play a lot and probably be a starter. Yeah. You would imagine the name Bickerstaff. He's got to be related in some way. <laughs> it's, not a common name. <laughs> it's not, not Smith, a common right? name. It's not Smith, right? Yeah. Uh, Finally, for starters, uh, uh, Julian Wooden, 6'8", 225 pounds senior. Again, you've noticed all the seniors and juniors and grad students on this this starting lineup are suspected. Uh, So he averaged 8.4 points a game and two and a half rebounds a game in 18 minutes, mostly off the bench last season, uh, shot a little over 50% uh, from the floor. Yeah, and again, experience, having played in their rotation last season and having some semblance of size to me, means I'm assuming he's going to start 
Um, they don't have a lot of other options. Basically, just one other that I think is realistic, and that player is a freshman who we'll talk about in a minute. Maybe of interest to some of our listeners who that player is, but um, I'm assuming he's going to start because he was in their rotation firmly last year. Right. Uh, so as we move on to the reserves or suspected reserves, I will begin with Xavier Brown, six-two sophomore, played 27 games last year as a freshman. He averaged 2.8 points a game, had a two-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio as a backup point guard, and he shot decent at 51, 33, and 86 in very limited volume. Yeah, and you know, last year he was their primary point guard reserve. Uh, they brought in a couple of guys via the portal who have real serious point guard experience, and so I wonder how big his role will be. But he did play a role for them last year, so I have to mention him. Next would be Raquan Horton. Horton, excuse me, six-six transfer from Charleston. He averaged five point four points a game, three point three rebounds a game, and shot. 42, 35, and 69. Yeah, I would assume likely um, a guy that we'll see on the wing and maybe even at the power forward a little bit uh, for them off the bench. That's my assumption. But decent production at Charleston. And then uh, Colorado transfer, six foot seven guard Quincy Allen, played only 11 games as a freshman, uh, was the top 100 recruit, uh, but left Colorado to go to James Madison. Yeah, and, and this one is kind of uh, well. It's an int- it's an interesting addition for them. It's entirely possible that he's a starter. Sure. I mean, yeah. based on perceived talent, there aren't a lot of top one hundred guys that are rolling through James Madison. <laughs> so <laughs> it's obvious that. why they would take a flyer on him at least, uh, even though he didn't really show out to that level in his one year at Colorado. Um, I would assume if he's not starting, he's going to be given every chance to play a lot though, because again, six, seven guys who have perimeter skills with that kind of, uh, at least again, the perceived talent and potential that he has don't come along very often. So you would think he's in line to get every chance to play a significant role. I don't know what the production will be like because his year at Colorado was basically a wash. So other than saying he was a top 100 recruit, you don't really know much. Next would be Michael Green, six foot transfer from Robert Morris. Uh, He uh, also is a point guard. Obviously he averaged nine points a game and 4.2 assists per game with a two to one assist to turnover ratio last season and shot really well at 43, 36 and 83. Yeah, and I've got him as a reserve, but honestly, it won't shock me if he's in the starting lineup. He was the toughest one to omit, uh, and I did it just because th- there seemed to be some talk about the guy from High Point as a starter, and then the other kid was is a returning player who played a lot of minutes and started a lot of games for them. But this guy could be a starter. He was also very productive um, – Prior to his time at Robert Morris, he started out at Bryant, another you know low major program, mm-hmm, yeah. and was very productive there as well. So uh, he's going to play a significant role. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I'm just not sure if it's going to be starting or coming off the bench. But you know, at least in terms of what he did at Robert Morris, you know, generally was pretty good decision making, uh, shot the ball reasonably well, as you say, not big. 
at six feet, that's that's the one negative. But yeah. um, I would expect he's going to have a large role. Uh, finally, then, Jalen Carey, last name you might recognize if you've been following Michigan State recruiting for a while. He's six foot eight, 245-pound freshman and younger brother of former MSU recruit Vernon Carey. Uh, he had a good prep career in Florida, and so he's a he's the big body you were referring to earlier that might be the sort of reserve reserve guy to take over at the four or five if they need him. Yeah, and my only question with him is whether he is a reserve or if he does earn a starting spot because I, I think it's going to be one or the other. I don't think he'll be out of the rotation, and I don't see obvious names in there that look like they'll be ahead of him if he's a reserve. Uh, he's definitely the one guy they've got who has Big Ten post-player size. Uh, he's obviously not considered the prospect his brother was. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about him at James Madison. <laughs> yeah, sure. But I think it'll be interesting. He looks just like him facially. I mean, I've seen this picture now. He looks just like Vernon. Uh, you can tell they're brothers for sure. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, he was a good prep, prep, prep player. In Florida, not an elite recruit. Um, his size would suggest that he might have some of the same issues his older brother had, which primarily had to do with mobility and um, conditioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how effective he is. All right. Well, then let's move on to the five keys of the game brought to you by Nudge Printing. Uh, just a reminder, if you want to get great Spartan apparel, collegiate apparel, you can't do better than Nudge Printing. You can go to nudgeprinting.com. You can find all the selection there of really cool um, vintage Spartan, like rough Sparties for basketball or football. Uh, you can get decals, stickers for your cornhole, uh, the big giant wall, uh, like the, um, oh, what's the ter- term for them? I can't remember now, but uh, like the fatheads, like the big fathead sort of stickers for Michigan State. Really cool stuff. And also if you have other schools in the state that you're buying for, maybe your spouse, didn't actually go to Michigan State. They went to, say, Central or Eastern or Western, maybe Grand Valley. You can get their stuff as well there. So you can get, everybody can get decked out in whatever they need. Uh, you can 20% off if you type in Final Four into the coupon code at checkout at nudgeprinting at nudgeprinting.com. Again, high quality. I have a bunch of their stuff. Good, great stuff, screen printed, and it wears really well. Uh, so, first key to the game focus. Uh, Michigan State, we saw, I think, a lack of focus to start the Tennessee game, and they got punched in the face pretty badly and never really able yep. to totally climb out of that hole that they set themselves. And so that is obviously the first key since this is the opening night for everybody. Yeah, and, and you know, it's one of those things where I'm sure a positive MSU's coaching staff has done some work making it clear to the guys that, hey, this is not just a punching bag here. This is a team with a lot of potential and one that's expected to win their league. So you need to, you need to be locked in, but sometimes that's easier said than done, especially when, you know, in whatever it is, a little over a week from this game, I think, or maybe just about a week they face Duke, you know? So these first two games, I think that's part of the challenge for Michigan state is, treat them seriously the difference is as opposed to last year northern arizona where you know the concern for me wasn't so much well are you going to lose it it's it was 
are you going to play well? Are you going to establish good habits? Blah, blah, blah. Right. This is a game where if Michigan State comes out flat and, and doesn't bring it and say James Madison just happens to be on, they're shooting the ball well, they're not making a ton of mistakes, you could have a problem. So you don't want that. You want to get a win in this game, and you should get a win in this game. But as you say, the concern was, I mean, look, you, you can look at the start of that Tennessee game in a couple ways. You can look at it as, boy, you got punched in the mouth, and then you can you can view the other side and say, great response to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, You're down whatever it was, 17 to 1. And you come back and tie the game with three seconds and change left. You fight all the way back from that. That that's a sign of a team with resiliency and talent, obviously. But the concern there is getting punched in the mouth in the first place. <laughs> right. Yeah. In theory, that should not happen at home with a veteran team. You know, I don't lose my mind over it. It's not worth getting that wound up or, oh, that changes my perceptions of what Michigan State will be. No, no, it doesn't. That's histrionic uh, (laughs) in terms of a response. But it is something that I will guarantee you Michigan State has talked about probably repeatedly. (laughs) And so what you want to see in this game is a good, crisp start with a lot of focus. That would be encouraging to see that because it would tell you that they they took that on board and learned something from it yeah and this is the kind of game too with a good team you don't want to leave them uh too much oxygen right like you want to be up absolutely five ten absolutely. points at halftime comfortably up so that it's not because if it's tight that you know it's like the nc tournament game right the the closer the game stays the tighter that team that's a favorite gets hundred percent it's of a risk right hundred percent and, and, you know, you could say we're playing at home is a huge advantage, and of course it is, but I'll tell you where it's not. Where it's not a huge advantage is in situations like you described, where everybody expects you to win comfortably, and you struggle, and this team hangs around and hangs around and hangs around, and th- then those guys on the floor can feel the tightening in the yeah. stands, and that's where it's a negative. You don't want to allow that to have an opportunity to happen, you know? So it's, yeah, that, that's a very good point. I agree. I think it's imperative that Michigan state bring the requisite focus to not allow that to happen and to do whatever they can to sort of take the hope away from James Madison. Yeah. All right. So the second key to the game turnovers, a lot of turnovers last game, especially early. I mean, I think they had nine turnovers in the first, like eight minute, nine minutes of that game against Tennessee. So, um, you know, Michigan state was a very good turnover team last year or the only, but James Madison turned you over. That's one of the things they did last season. They were there, as you mentioned before, they're 30th in turnover percentage and 44th in steal percentage. So, uh, which, you know, so you gotta be careful with the ball. I mean, state has a ball handler, so you would expect they would be better (laughs) than they were against Tennessee. Yeah. And again, I don't want to take the James Madison numbers too far because we're talking about a starting lineup. that's going to be 80% different. (laughs) Right, but I'm yeah. assuming, but I am assuming that this is a style of play thing that Byington wants. And I'm assuming from that that even new guys will try to play that way. You know? 
That's my expectation. And so if that's the case and they are aggressive, then it's going to be incumbent upon Michigan State to be much stronger with the ball than they were early in that Tennessee game. Um, there's no excuse for it. I mean, I, I hate to put it that way, but there just isn't. When you were, you were a pretty good team, very good team actually, and a great one by Izzo standards in terms of taking care of the ball last year. And you've got all these starters back and your guards, especially are guys that have proven they can play reliable basketball Well, they need to actually do that in this game. Yeah. I mean, Michigan state has two, probably almost three point guards that are, st- that are starting, right? So there's no reason you should have a lot of trouble with the, with turning the ball over. Uh, so the third key to the game rebounding, we've, you know, this seemed like, I, I think rebounding was the key to the game every game last season, but looked better. It looked bad against Hillsdale, looked better against Tennessee. It's against a much better rebounding team. And so there's reason to be optimistic, not only on the defensive end, but also on the offensive end a little bit because Michigan State was, had an offensive rebounding rate of over 40%. Yeah, they were really good against Tennessee, particularly Malik Hall. He had four of them, but a lot of other guys chipped in. Uh, look, it, it's something that we're going to beat the drums on again this year. Because the idea, as I understand it, you know, we, we've been over this several times. Uh, we, tried, we tried to get Mike Garland to cop to it, and he just wouldn't <laughs> last year. But it sure seemed to me that at a certain point fairly early in the season, Michigan State made an adjustment and was not sending four to the boards. And that was probably for more than one reason, but I think one reason was Tom Izzo must not have believed that that was going to be a positive with that yeah. group by that way. I think this team stacks up differently. You have a healthy Jade Nakins. That's an advantage. You have a healthy Billy Call, who is at a position where he might not be as good a defensive rebounder as Joey Hauser is, but I'm firmly of the belief, and not just based on the Tennessee game, that he's a better offensive rebounder than Joey was. Uh, you have another year of experience for Madi Sissoko and Carson Cooper, two guys who have at least shown occasionally that they can be factors on the offensive glass. And then you've added two guys in Cohen Carr and Xavier Booker, who, even though they're freshmen, have the potential, I think, to be impactful players in that area of the game in particular. So when I add all that up, there's every reason to think this team can be significantly improved on the offensive boards. They could finish, say, number 100 in the country, which is a low number historically for Izzo teams, and still be significantly improved over last year. That's how bad they were. <laughs> so yeah. but we, we want to see much better than that. And the Tennessee game, as opposed to the first game against Hillsdale, the Tennessee game was an indication, I think, of what this team can do. Uh, this opponent is not a very good rebounding team last year. Again, a lot of different personnel, but um, we can assume some things and we can also look at their size across the board and suspect that they should not be a great rebounding group. So they are a team that in theory, Michigan State should be able to get some things done against. We need to see them do that. Right. And Michigan State last year against every opponent, I mean, almost every game, looked bad offensively rebounding the ball. It didn't matter what the size was. I mean, well, we, we, we keep saying, yeah. oh, they're, they should have an advantage here. And it didn't, it was about tied every time if at best. 
and and again, I I come back to, yes, I think it was because their person, their roster wasn't really in a position, you know, with a couple guys who in theory would be effective there weren't at a hundred percent for a lot of the season. And then after that, you just didn't have a group that was particularly oriented toward doing that well. But I think on top of that, I think Michigan State made a decision strategically to not push it. They were not like I always use this example. If you don't believe me, go back and watch games from last year. Pick a game. And on your television screen, when a shot goes up, particularly a three-point attempt or a jumper of any kind for Michigan State, count the number of guys in green and white that are in your screen after that when that rebound opportunity is there. And you're not going to find four, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and that's when you know Michigan State is trying to play that way. You know, four to the boards. That's three guys, four guys going after offensive rebounds. And you didn't see it very much last year. So they were kind of, at, at a certain point, I think it was a fait accompli that they were not going to rebound well offensively because they really weren't trying to. Yeah. They weren't challenging. This should be different. It's not going to happen, so let's not even waste our... So you're going to, uh, right, you're going to prioritize, yeah. let's let's prioritize getting back, floor balance, not getting beaten transition. And they did a good job of that. Yeah. And they were a good defensive rebounding team. They were the best defensive rebounding team they've had in several years. So that part was good, but it was it was just the guys they had in the condition they were in, I don't think were well suited to be a typical MSU team. And so MSU decided not to go down with the ship, which then made it even less likely they would be effective at that phase of the game. But mm -hmm. this is a different year. I don't see a reason why they can't be much, much better. And we'll see if they are in this one. Okay, so the fourth key to the game are the fives. So is this going to be an opportunity for Body and Carson to uh, get some work done? And, uh, you know, they both, I mean, they didn't really do much offensively against Tennessee. I don't think either one was asked to do much. I mean, they both had one, I think they both each had one field goal attempt, and they looked good Yep. with their, like, little hook shots or so. But that was a bit yeah, about all they moves. did. Yeah. Yeah, look, you look at this team, and physically they would seem to be one that, those guys might be able to do some things against. And I'm, I'm actually encouraged by what, by how those guys have looked when they've gotten post touches against Hillsdale and against Tennessee, they, they didn't get a lot against Tennessee, but when they did, they looked good. Both of them. Mm -hmm. uh, it would be nice to see that. I'm not, you know, look, I am definitely from Missouri on the idea of this being <laughs> a traditional ISO team in terms of post play because I don't think, well, I know they don't have proven production there. Even if they had Jackson Kohler on the roster, they don't have real proven post production. And without him, they don't even have their best potential post player, but I'm prepared to be wrong on that. And I think, you know, Malik Hall has shown some signs, maybe, um, and, and the two fives, but, but with the fives, it's, it's more than just post play. Uh, I didn't think they were great defensively Izzo didn't either. Um, and uh, particularly in Madi's case, he had turnover problems. Yeah. So I want to see a crisper, more effective game out of those two guys. I, I am not one who believes that Michigan state's 
potential rides entirely on the five spot really elevating from last year. I, I think that's nonsense. But I do think they need it and want it to be better and more consistent. That's the big word. More consistent than it was a year ago. So it'd be nice to see it start off on the right foot in the regular season. I agree. All right, and so the fifth and final key to the game is AJ. And he was the key to the game oftentimes last season because it seemed like if he had a really good game as locked in and focused, they played really, I mean, they looked much, much better. And I think the first two games, he wasn't bad, but he wasn't, I think, what we think he could right. be. And and even at his best last season, and I think we both think he's there's more to him this year that he can possibly give the team. Well, look, we're talking about a guy that made the all-region team in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Okay? So that tells you where, at the very least, where his ceiling is. Is that level of player, if, if you're that guy, you're a guy who's capable of being first-team all-conference, and he's been generally, I would say, the consensus is he's been a second-team all-Big Ten pick in the preseason Tyson's generally been first team and AJ's been second team mm -hmm. um, if I were him I'd be irritated by some of the guys that I've seen get picked ahead of him Jameer Young at Maryland uh, Boo Booey at Northwestern they're good players but AJ Hogard can be a better player than either of those guys Yeah, if he's prepared to be a consistent force and reach the levels he's capable of reaching on a consistent basis. Uh, I think in the first two games, he's been okay. He hasn't been terrible. He's had moments. He certainly had a big moment. It looked like a huge moment yeah. at the end of regulation, tying the Tennessee game with a three, and then you know that was all made moot. But he still hit the shot. You know, He still made the play. Uh, I don't think we've yet, in these first two exhibition games, seen him really be at his best at what he does best offensively, which is going downhill, getting to the rim, and either drawing contact or finishing plays. I think we've seen glimpses of it, but we all know there are times where AJ's just kind of taken over segments of games by doing yeah. that. I don't think we've quite seen it yet. I'd like to see it some, some more of that here. I'd just like to see more consistently high-level play from AJ. You know, I've said this before, the difference between this team and the couple of years prior is if AJ is not giving Michigan State that, Tom Izzo's got other options. Right. He's got other guys <laughs> he can turn to. And so, and I'm not saying, that, oh, AJ's got his job at State. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying as a team, they don't have to ride the rapids if AJ is up and down. Mm -hmm. And so it would be better for everybody, for him, for Michigan State, for the whole team, if he is at a consistently high level of production and focus. So that's what I'm looking for. Get the regular season off to the right start. Play well. Yeah, I would. the only thing I'd add is that at least in the two exhibition games, and yes, they're exhibition games, and the first game they weren't really pushed much by Hillsdale, Body language and and at least what I, what you can sort of perceive watching him, he looks good. Like he doesn't look like he, he has those times when he sort of not space out, but you know just kind of doesn't have that. Doesn't look like he's totally engaged or getting a little complaining a little bit too much about the previous play or two. He seems more mature in that sense, at least just from what I can just you know from 
uh, the upper deck. That's my, that's been my, I'd impression. agree. I'd agree with that. Um, and that's a good thing, but that's not the entirety of it. Right. It's, oh, sure. He's gotta be, you know, it look, it's a high standard, man, but you're playing, you're a senior point guard at Michigan state. There's no mystery to that. You're expected to be great. I mean, that's just the bottom line. How many, how many times have we seen a Michigan State team in the Izzo era with a senior point guard who wasn't really, really, really good? Not often. Sometimes you can have a year where they got a young guy. Drew Neitzel was a freshman. Um, you know, to some, Tum Tum Nairn as a freshman. There have been times where they've been in those situations and you've seen some inconsistency. But rarely, if you think about guys as seniors, Keith Appling, at least before he got hurt, had a really good senior year. Travis Trice had a great senior year. Denzel Valentine, who even though he might not have been <laughs> listed as the point guard, was functionally the yeah. point guard, had a spectacular senior season. Drew Neitzel was a senior. Kalen Lucas was banged up, but you look at his numbers as a senior, they were pretty fucking pretty good. Um, Mateen Cleaves. I mean, I, I can go on and on. When you reach this point in your career, there are expectations as, and they're serious as to what you should be. And AJ Hogard has shown us plenty, particularly down the stretch in the tournament last year to make it clear that the potential to be at that level is present. No question. Now he's just got to go do it. Yeah. And so, well, Monday night when most teams are, uh, it's the opening night for most teams, the big 10, we'll see, we'll see how Michigan state looks and how the rest of the big 10 looks, which reminds me that if you not yet entered the beat rod contest to try and rank the, f- the 14 big 10 teams in the final standings, make sure you get your entry in before the games begin in the big 10, which is mm, first week of December. So you have a few weeks left, but you can send them over to me at Eric, E-R-I-C, at T-F-F-I-N-O-T-S.com. Uh, the 1 through 14, we use a tiebreaker, which is, of course, the um, standings for the for the seeding for the Big Ten tournament. The tiebreaker will be how many points Michigan State scores against Michigan this season. They play them twice. Make sure you, obviously, submit your name as well. Please send your entries in. Again, I like to try and get those in so I can keep everything straight. Uh, the winner gets some gear from nudge printing so can't lose there and it's totally free so we'd love to have you guys get involved in that uh so again check out brothers adjust your gutters make sure you check out nudge printing at nudgeprinting.com and make sure you head on over if you're at home watching the game head on over to our website the final force on the schedule.com slash forums and just head into the forum and you can see what rod's got what his thoughts are on halftime or get engaged in any other conversations going on we really appreciate it and the community we're building there Until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green.